Hey listeners, amazing news. The Webbies have honored Crafted as one of the best technology podcasts of the year. We'd love it if you could share the news. If you've been waiting for a sign to share this podcast, let this be it. Please text a few friends a link to Crafted, the podcast about great products and the people who make them. Okay, on with today's episode. There's so many books, so many blog posts, so much amazing content about how to survive the startup stage, the early stage. And then you find that success, people crash and burn because there's nobody there to help them through like what happens between, oh shit, we have product market fit and ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. That's Tommy Forstrom. If you want to go pedantic, it's Tommy Forstrom. If you want to go the safe route, it's Tommy. I'm not from Finland, so I'll stay safe. Tommy's a product management executive who specializes in helping companies navigate the growth stage. He's currently the chief product officer at Workstep, a platform that helps supply chain companies engage and retain their frontline workers. Previously, he was VP of product at the online learning app Teachable and stock photo finding site Shutterstock, and he's advised many startups on all things growth. On this episode, Tommy walks us through the awkward years just after a startup becomes a scale-up. Where I usually find companies is their revenue growth is stalling, their cost of mistakes is going up, their technology is more complicated. He'll share his framework for identifying what's working and what's not, as well as how to say goodbye. One of the hardest skills for product people is like shoving rabbits back into hats. Killing features is so hard. And we also hear how Tommy approaches career growth with practical tips for job seekers. Welcome to Crafted, a show about great products and the people who make them. I'm your host, Dan Blumberg. I'm a product and engagement leader at Artium, where my colleagues and I help companies build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. Tommy, thanks so much for joining us. You have a really great, succinct bio on your LinkedIn profile. And I just want to read it in full and then ask a couple questions from it. So you say you are a product leader specializing in the transformation of companies from startup to growth stage, building sustainable growth from product market fit. And then you go on to say, I like them lean, agile, and evidence-based. So first of all, kudos for packing so much into so few words. That's an art. Second, I want to dig in. Your specialty is the growth stage. Can you share what unique challenges companies often face at the point where they've found something, it works, they need to scale it and make it sustainable? Yeah, it's a really weird era. And it's hard to like define exactly when it starts and exactly when it ends. There's so much debate about like, what does product market fit even mean? And when are you there? And like, when is the time to switch gears? I usually loosely define it as like the journey from 10 million to 100 million. To me, it's very much like the human adolescence where like your childhood, right? Like your early years is just like kind of running in different directions, doing whatever, like you try every hobby, you try whatever, and you're kind of accumulating the set of experiences. And then when you get to your adolescence, it's like you start understanding a little bit like what makes you uniquely you. And you start kind of like paring down to the things like you can choose your main hobby and the Companies coming to the growth stage usually have very similar characteristics. They come to the growth stage because they've like been hustling and grinding like crazy for the first two years, three years, five years. And it's usually very like instinct and intuition based. And so it's a lot of like just like 
throwing stuff at the wall because the cost of mistakes is nothing. Like you spend a couple of days on a feature, like who cares? You throw it out there, you have maybe like 20 customers. The early stage is very much like times at bat oriented. Take as many swings as you can. You take a swing and you hit a home run. The problem is you've probably taken a hundred other swings. So you come into this like, oh shit, we have product market fit moment. You have that one thing that works, but you have like 99 other things that you've done and shipped and kind of left out there that really don't. And so you don't necessarily know which one of those 100 things that you did. And so you're kind of in this weird thing where like, we're going to scale this company and we're just going to do more of all of those 100 things. And so where, where I usually find companies is their revenue growth is stalling, their organizations getting increasingly dysfunctional, their cost of mistakes is going up, their technology is more complicated, and like everything is like stalling and slowing and getting harder. First, you got to do a little bit of like a triage of like, okay, what is slowing you down? And you very fast start understanding that product market fit is not a binary. It's not like the whole product fits the whole market. It's every single time there's like, there's a part of the product that is working better than the rest. And there's a part of the market, a customer type, a use case, a whatever, that's like much more receptive to your product. And so doing just a little bit of fast archaeology around like, where is that tightest connection will then kind of lead into this process of like doing more with less. There's this like counterintuitive, like what got us here won't get us there. The early stage is just like ship things fast, like add, 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 add. And you come into the growth stage, you have to start like pare down, pare down, pare down and seek leverage. So that to me is kind of the core, like startup to scale up flip pathology, if you will. Tommy specialized in growth stage companies while working as a product leadership consultant to Insight Venture Partners portfolio companies. He worked directly with product management luminaries Melissa Perry and Shelley Perry and credits them for, as he puts it, indoctrinating him into the importance of the growth stage. After advising a few dozen startups, he took a role as VP of product at Teachable, an e-commerce platform that helps people sell their self-created online courses. When I joined the company, they were they were crushing it, absolutely crushing it. They had come out the early stage gate flying, already incredible brand equity, incredibly um, loyal customers. They were like somewhere in the 10, 15 million range. They were really crushing it. But it's also really obvious that they were acquiring customers like crazy, but also churning through them at like a slightly uh, unsustainable rate. And their product development was already kind of like what the customers are saying is like, oh, it's a little stale and like the product isn't really keeping up with the, the contenders. And one of my first things in my first year was that we started really analyzing, first of all, like where is all of our product development investment going? And then start doing some like attachment rate analysis on like for this customer type, what features are they using what features aren't they using? What features are they happy with? What features aren't they happy with? To enable us to be basically get like a, a center of gravity. Tommy zeroed in on the payment platform that Teachable had built. Payments seem simple, but once you factor in the millions of edge cases like refunds and failed transactions that come with it, it's a complicated system to maintain. Was it necessary for Teachable to have its own payments platform? It was like a good strategy to gain a little bit more revenue but it was starting to become super obvious what an absolute millstone around our necks it was because 
guess what? When you're dealing with money, you're dealing with taxes, with tons of compliance, with all sorts of like wild things. And we had already started putting like more than 50% of our efforts there. And also like the customer satisfaction just like wasn't really there. And I could easily see it get even worse. And so for me, it became very clear that a part of our journey had to be to start figuring out a way to like shift more of our attention, more of our resources back to the core of what we're doing. Because that's where our customers were like, they had incredible aspirations to do more and nobody in the market was meeting them. Everybody was slightly letting them down on what can a modern online course really be. But the reason we weren't able to serve that was that we had already diluted our efforts on that front. That to me was like, a really classic case study of how you can really hurt your growth stage opportunities by getting a little too eager in the startup stage. Tommy pushed Teachable to unwind its custom payment system, at least as much as possible, and to use Stripe instead. It was painful, but necessary. The thing with some of these growth stage issues is like some genies don't go back into bottles all that easily. It's so easy to say like, I come in, I look at what works, what doesn't, and then we start killing. Honestly, one of the hardest skills for product people is like shoving rabbits back into hats. Killing features is so hard because I have yet to see a feature that's in prod that nobody uses. And it's especially hard in like Teachable's business, which is like kind of a, it's not an API product, but it's like a, a layer in other people's businesses. Like Teachable powers, I don't know how many today, but back then it was already like 30, 40,000 active businesses. Every time you remove something from the offering, you're basically pulling the rug from under somebody's business. And it's like, how do you do that without like causing irreparable brand damage? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been part of decisions to kill features or kill products. And it's a really hard decision to make. I don't know if you have more, more advice to product folks out there on, on how to elegantly kill features. I mean, the easiest... Sunset. I'm sorry, sunset. Yeah. We don't kill, we sunset, right? I don't know. I feel like I want to kill them sometimes too, but okay, sunset. It's incredibly hard. Basically, you just have to approach it as if you're building a feature. The same amount of research, the same amount of discovery. Like That's kind of a mistake companies often make is that they think that building a feature is hard and like you need diligence and like plans and processes. And then like killing a feature or sunsetting a feature is just like flicking off a light switch. But that's where you need all the coordination because like you have to have like off ramps. And, and even if it's just a small minority of your customers, sunsetting features like recklessly can create so much damage to your brand that it's really not worth it to just like rug pull people. And it's especially, like you said, when you're in the B2B space, like it's one thing if like Facebook removes a button, boohoo, I'm just not clicking that button anymore. It's another thing if like Stripe closes an API and like 50,000 businesses have their like payment processing turned off. The second you push something out the door, you always have to have that like, what will I do if this doesn't work? How will I kill this? How will I like ramp this down? But that's the problem is like the early stage, you don't do that. You need to move fast, times at bats over everything. And so nobody ever has like contingency plans of like, what is this doesn't work? Tommy is now chief product officer at Workstep. 
It's lattice for the blue collar worker. We gather sentiment through surveys, uh, pulse, milestone, whatever, always on surveys, different ways of gathering employee sentiment. We analyze it, we provide predictive analysis on like leading indicators to turnover reasons. And we connect that data to things like performance and even customer satisfaction. So at first I was like, that's not super interesting. But then I started scratching the surface and researching like supply chain workforce issues and researching how like left behind the American frontline worker is and how many of them there are. And it's like millions, actually tens of millions of people who are wildly underserviced by technology. And I get excited by underserviced, basically markets where like any modern technology is an incredible quality of life improvement. And that's just, that feels rewarding to me. And are you finding what you described as, you know, a hundred things have been tried and now it's time to figure out what are the, the most important few? Yeah. Again, if I kind of go with the analogy of like the human adolescence, like normally I join companies when their equivalent human being is like 15 years old, but Workstep I joined with as like a 12 year old. The initial product is incredibly strong, but we're still at that stage where like just pushing it to 10 million is like the number one thing which means I need to align myself a little differently. I need to align myself more as like, let's push that analysis a little further. Let's push the scaling tactics a little further. Just push and hustle and trust our instincts. And it's been fun because it's been challenging my own approach a little bit. Usually when I join a company at like the sweet spot where my skills become relevant, a lot of almost like irreparable mistakes have already been made. You know what I mean? Like sometimes in the growth stage, when you come in, you have to do some like pretty like aggressive moves. The way Workstep is moving now, I feel like we're going to come into the growth stage and like together we'll have been able to prevent a lot of those things that if I had like airdropped in at like 15 million or 20 million, I'd have to like describe much more jarring treatments for You've positioned yourself as an expert in a very specific thing, product leadership at growth stage companies. Um, how did you identify your, your niche? And also, if you could speak to sort of the value of specialization in your career generally. So my journey basically is I was supposed to be a math teacher. We're talking like mid-90s. I went to the University of Helsinki specializing in math and pedagogics, minoring in computer science. And guess what? The dot-com boom basically meant if you could render Hello World, you had a high paying job and for like a 20 year old, like, okay. So I got kind of sucked into software engineering and just like focused on software engineering as my day job for a good 10 years. I found myself in New York City in 2012 as a CTO of a tiny startup. At that point, somebody asked me when, as we started kind of finding some success, raising some money and scaling, somebody asked me, why don't you hire a product manager? Like, what the hell is that? And so I did a little bit of research you know, back then, New York wasn't hip to the product game yet. It was very much a Silicon Valley thing. But I found enough job descriptions to be like, holy crap, this is me. Why am I not the product manager? And that was like an aha moment where like, I do not care as much about the building of things as I am about the things in and of themselves. And then funnily enough, as I then landed on the product lane, I started finding myself much more drawn to the practices and the processes and the policies and like kind of how do you run the factory that creates products? And so that kind of sucked me into product leadership. And then when I got there, I realized like, oh, there's this like business layer, there's this customer layer, 
And so I just kind of got yanked and yanked and yanked into like, there's another level, there's another level. And the kind of growth stage thing clicked when I found myself at Insight Venture Partners, where I had really superb mentors who basically banged into my head the importance of the growth stage and also like how underserviced the industry is in people who know how the growth stage works. And I was like, this is super exciting. This is super interesting. And by the way, very few people know how to do this. So I just like, in that, like that moment, I was like, this is me now. Like, hello me. It's been all growth stage from there on out. I just got so infatuated with like the problematics and, and witnessing so many great companies and so many great founders crash and burn because they couldn't find the right help. There's so many books, so many blog posts, so much amazing content about how to survive the startup stage, the early stage. And then you find that success, people crash and burn because there's nobody there to help them through like what happens between, oh shit, we have product market fit and ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange. It's often a stage where, where folks bring in RDM is, you know, when the, the things that got you here are not going to get you to that next stage, whether that's technical debt or people are not able to agree with each other or, or set a clear path forward. You and I first met after you wrote a blog post that caught my eye a couple of years ago in which you shared your framework to job hunting and how you evaluate competing opportunities. And I'd love if you could share a bit of that framework. The way I look at it is like I build a matrix. I love spreadsheets. So I just like geek out on on formatting and, and creating spreadsheets, I basically build a spreadsheet where like the rows are the companies that I'm talking to, the columns are all the things that matter to me as like decision-making dimensions. And I just kind of normalize everything to like one, one through five or one through 10. And I try to give every criteria a weight, like not all criteria are created equal. And then just like, I kind of go through everything as like, this is a one out of five, this is a five out of five, this is a three out of five. With the full knowledge that it's like highly speculative and very qualitative in a lot of, lot of ways, like maybe something like compensation, you can clearly benchmark, but like, how much do I trust the founder? And for me, like the most critical aspect about that process is I punch those numbers in and I like get a readout. Like, this company is on top and it gets a score of X, Y, and Z. That doesn't mean I'm like, yes, I'm going for this job. I kind of meditate, if you will, on like, how do I feel about this readout? If I feel like, oh, I don't like this. That probably means there's something unarticulated about some other company. And this is actually how I ended up at Teachable, which I also wasn't like super jazzed about at first blush. I had like, I think five or six companies I was talking to and everybody was either like giving me an offer or at offer stage. I was like punching the numbers in and Teachable was never number one but it was always either two or three. After I was like going through this process, I was like, I think Teachable is not the job I want, but it's a job I need. Like I need that like everything is okay or better. It's just, it's been super helpful for me to help like really understand what's going on in my mind. We'll link to Tommy's spreadsheet and blog posts on job hunting in the show notes. Here's another tip. The way I kind of look at it, it's like an enterprise, like sales driven sales process. I'm the product. My CV and my pitch, my spiel, my interview sound bites, they're my product marketing. So I need to understand who the buyer is. So basically who's the hiring manager? Who am I interviewing with? What does the CEO need? What does the engineering leader need? So I have to have this like clear understanding of like, what am I selling? What, who am I as a product? 
And then the managing the interviews, managing the who I send CVs to, who I get connected through the back door and whatever, what recruiters I work with, that's basically like sales ops. You have a funnel, everything in the funnel is at different stages. Every stage has a different probability and like a predicted close date. You just kind of start making a real process out of it. And one of the biggest mistakes I see people do in job hunting is like they choose the job that they want and they just put all their eggs in that basket. Any sales leader that would do that, just hunt the one big customer they want, is going to fail. You need to have a diverse, solid pipeline, get as much stuff at the top of the pipeline, basically just like prospects, 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 send CVs even to companies you're not that jazzed about. Because worst case, you're going to get better at interviewing. Because guess what? Interviewing is a muscle. You're going to suck at it at first. So don't go for your dream job as your like first interview thing. And then just rinse, repeat, like iterate on it. Just like a good product leader, every time there's a closed loss deal in Salesforce, a good product leader goes and like, what is wrong here? Is it the product? Is it the positioning? Is it the value props we're putting forth? Is it the wrong type of buyer? You need to learn from every one of those. So again, it just kind of boils down to like, very basic product tricks of like, know your customer, know your product, its strengths and weaknesses, connect the dots between those. I want to go back to the growth stage for one last question. Is there a company that you point to as like, oh my God, they crushed it in the growth stage? Whoa, that's a really solid question. I mean, I do like the way Stripe, I mean, who doesn't like Stripe? Except all the other payments companies out there. If you look at their timeline of product development, they came out the gate guns blazing early on, but they had like a really long lull of like seemingly not releasing anything. They had a long dry spell where like they were just riding their core product. And then suddenly last couple of years, it feels like they're, shipping like not just features, but like offering that could be its own individual company, like seemingly every freaking month. Like there was this crazy cornucopia of stuff coming out. And I do think that they put in the time after they found that initial success and they became kind of the scene darlings of payment processing, they took their time to slow down to speed up and they made sure they're ready for then the next level of aggressive expansion, which is kind of where they're at right now. But had they done that with like kind of an immature product footprint and just kind of like crazy threads all over the place, I don't think they would have been as successful as they are. But at least on a high level, it really, for me, fits the picture of like dare to slow down to speed up as long as the early wave is strong enough. And for them, it really was. Tommy, thanks so much. This has been really, really fascinating stuff. Thank you. It's been really fascinating talking with you all. That's Tommy Forstrom, and this is Crafted from Artium. At Artium, we build incredible products, recruit high-performing teams, and help you achieve the culture of craft you need to build great software long after we're gone. We artisans love partnering with creative people to build their visions of the future. If you have a product that's ready to scale up or needs to get off the ground, let's talk. We've turbocharged a great roster of startups, scale-ups, and big enterprises. You can learn more about us at thisisartium.com and start a conversation by emailing hello at thisisartium.com. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and spread the word about this now webby-honored podcast. 
Because once people discover Crafted, they can't help but say, they were crushing it, like absolutely crushing it. Mm -hmm.